We just talked about how God blessed us uh, with, you know, with a home here after being in a basement apartment for six years. And the thing is, man, you know, the fact of the matter is I thought we were going to be there. I told my wife we were going to be there for 90 days. <laughs> and 90 days turned into six years. Come on, somebody. Because God's plans and his ways were not our ways. And I want to just help somebody today because I want to encourage you around your journey as you're continuing to go. And many times, this is why the Bible even says in James chapter 4, we got to be careful in setting timelines and deadlines. Because he says in many regards, in our boat, we do this and it's actually evil. And instead, we got to be like the old folk and say, if the Lord wills, he says, we will do this or that. This is James chapter 4 towards the end of the chapter. I believe it's 30, verse 13 and onward. It's a very power, powerful passage uh, if you're interested in reading. And so the thing is, though, before we got to that place, you know, we had moved. We lived in the States. So I grew up here uh, in Scarborough. Left. You know, I had to put the shout out in there. Left at 17 and to go to school. And I shared, you know, um, went there, started our family, started our life lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan, so in the Midwest, for 12 years. And after that, the Lord, we planted a church there, which is still going. The Lord did mighty things, and we're grateful for what he did there. But then the Lord called us, as we believed, to go to Southern California. And how many of you know, moving from this Midwest and this Canada-type snow, uh, when Jesus calls you to go to palm trees and 80-degree weather in December, you say, Hallelujah. <laughs> So we're so excited. We're stoked. We're like, yes, fam, let's go. I was the man them putting up the like the braggadocious pictures like, you know, selfie, pray for the saint, pray for the saints as we suffer for the Lord here in this 80 degree weather. And my friends out here used to be so vexed at me. And one of them would be like, watch when God brings you back to the snow. So anyway, we're there and this is a so-called paradise. But quickly after being there, so we ended up being there for about two years. Uh, before moving back home here to Toronto. But in that space of time, it was one of the most hellacious experiences I've ever had. How many of you know that you can be in an environment that may have the backdrop or have the, uh, might be picturesque, it might uh, be presented as paradise. But even though this is the case, come on somebody. You can be having and experiencing the most hellacious and the most heinous things in this environment. And some of you, I'll even tell you this. Some of you, you think that by going to the greener grass, that it's going to make your situation better. How many of you know that the grass is greener because it's probably a whole lot of shh poo that's under that grass. Oh, y'all don't want to keep it real with me today. That positioned it. To be in a position where it's green. And so, fact of the matter is, greener pastures does not always mean easier situation. See, I keep it all the way 100. And I want you guys to understand this because it's important when we're talking about this journey and about what it is that God is calling us to. We have to understand that sometimes you can be in a situation that might be presented, that it is a good situation, but... Uh, it can be one of the most challenging times. And I'll never forget, it got to the place without going into terrible uh, detail about all the things that happened while we were there, you know, while we're in the midst of this. But it got to the place where I literally was on a mountain, literally, in California, because that's one of those things I love the most. It's going up on the mountain. I was there on a mountain, and I'm like, man, I'm ready to end it. I was in a position prior to this 
Is it okay for pastors to be honest? I'm like, man, I'm like, this is insane. Like, I'm, how, God, you brought me out here for all of this. Where I was, I had more control of the situation. I was able to, even though it was snow, I'd be like, yo, I'll take shoveling three feet of snow over this. And I'll never forget being in that position. And then I went home and I had a straight nervous breakdown. And so this is about uh, this is about six, seven years ago, almost eight years ago. I had a nervous breakdown. The first time this has ever happened. I remember I, f- I fell out in the bed. I lost it. I just had a breakdown. And my wife, she's like on the phone. Like, do I call the paramedics? Like, what do I do? She was, it was so insane of a moment because I felt like I was purposeless in that moment. I felt like, like I had been abandoned by God. I allowed the anxiety of a si- the situation that I was facing, you know, relationally and otherwise. It wasn't anything with my wife, but it was, uh, uh, it was, it was other relationships that had, that, had, had, that had been strained and challenged that were very valuable to me. And in that moment, I just lost it. Anybody else ever been in a position where you just, you just like, man, I can't do this no more? I was like, man, it's crazy. Like, I am literally losing my mind in this moment because I could not see that it was possible in that moment for anything to take place beyond where I was. And what I didn't know is that God, you, you could have never told me that all of this was going to happen when I was standing in that moment. Isn't it crazy that when the devil has you at a mountaintop experience ready to say, yo, I'm ready to check out of here, that it's that oftentimes he is. It, the issue is and the reason why is because he knows what God has planned down the, around the corner. And if he can get you to stop. Oh, I just want to talk to somebody real today. If he can get you to stop, if he can get you to quit, if he can get you to throw in the towel, come on somebody, then he will be able to stop you and block all the things that God has on the other side. And I couldn't see that at at that moment. But right then, my, my wife's best friend calls and says, hey, just in the middle of darkness, when I'm like, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? Am I going to just start a business? How are we going to do? There's no hope in this moment. My wife best friend calls and says hey have you guys ever considered moving back home to toronto now it was crazy i was blinded by the palm trees but when we look back in retrospect it was crazy because god had told my wife that after seven years after we uh, had gotten married and all that that we were going to do ministry for seven years and be there in the states and we would come back home to toronto but because of the cares of life and the palm trees and the sunshine all that i forgot that we came up on seven years And so in that moment, God made it uncomfortable. Come on, somebody. Because he's saying, I sent you here to get some stuff out of you. Come on, somebody. So that I could bring you back home to your hometown to be able so that you could deposit some stuff into them. And so in that moment, oh my, I just want to encourage somebody. In that moment, he then uh, uses my wife's friend to encourage her to, uh, to, 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 to go back to Toronto. And it clicked and it came back to us. And so every and so now, now that we're here and when I look and I see all of you all getting baptized, I'm looking around at the stories in this house already and people, the stories that are yet to happen. And I'm like, man, Jesus, thank you that I did not quit at that time.
thank you because I did not because in that moment it was difficult and I was lost and I did not see how I was going to make it you know I, I lost it I lost it I was I was I was if you will I say I was intoxicated by the fear of what took place by the suffering I was intoxicated the suffering was designed had a different agenda but I allowed it to push me in the wrong direction Oh, I want to talk to somebody today uh, because here in the text, can we go straight to the text? Oh, I want to just share this with you. He says, be sober minded and be watchful for your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now notice he says, be sober. The King James says, just says, be sober. Somebody say, be sober. But he says, be sober minded. You know, when, when most people think about uh sobriety they usually just think or think about uh, they think about addiction or uh the abuse of a substance that's what we usually think of and i i might as well deal with that because uh, he most definitely is talking about the importance of us being sober somebody say be sober sober and not to be to a place where we are controlled by any substance or anything of that nature are you with me and so, in fact, the matter is, uh, you know, it's important, though, when we're talking about sobriety, we have to have a proper perspective because some people go to the extreme when it even comes to alcohol about perspective. So they think that, you know, he's talking about alcohol and that means we don't consume alcohol at all. Well, no, the Bible does not make it clear that alcohol in itself is bad. Can I just teach for a minute? No, he actually says in Psalm 104, verse 15, that God gives us wine to make our hearts Mary. Somebody say Mary. In Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10, the Bible makes it clear that among the promises that come for us being faithful in the Old Testament, uh, the, the way that they had commodities and the way that they, uh, they, they paid for things and what value looked like in their life, one of the promises, he said that if they would, be, if they would honor God with the first fruits of their increase, that their vats would be bursting with new wine. And so wine was a promise of and a, and a sign in many regards and also in addition to oil to God's presence and God's prosperity in their midst. Jesus' first miracle, y'all, in John chapter 2 verse 1 through 12 was to turn water into not grape juice. But the Greek word oinos, so the word that's related to wine. It was even more of a miracle that it was wine because it takes a long period of time for wine to age so it was like a creative miracle where jesus is able to turn water right into wine they said the best wine somebody say the best wine right so it's real wine not only this in first corinthians chapter 11 verse 21 and onward you see that paul is rebuking the corinthian church and the reason why he's rebuking the corinthian church is because they were getting drunk on the communion wine so people wonder why do you use wine real wine in communion they actually did so for centuries for thousands of years they did and it wasn't changed until just a few hundred years ago but they were getting drunk on the communion wine and so the issue watch this the issue is not alcohol the issue is excess it's drunkenness so the thing in and of itself is not sin it's excess that's sin. And there are some who, have, who are incapable of being able to exercise self-control in this area and they cannot just 
you know, take a little, and we're sensitive to this in our church community, as there are several of you that battle alcoholism and all of this, and we understand. And so you can't have a little and just keep it at a little, right? And so the fact of the matter is that even when this is the case, it's the extreme that's the issue, not the thing in and of itself. Are you with me? So definitely when he says, be sober, he is making it clear that we ought to practice sobriety. Yes, of course, in the area of alcohol or even other substances, because how many of you know it's not just alcohol, it's other things. Anything that has control over you that you have to have in order to function and all this, it is very possible for you to operate in the area of uh, excess outside of this so he says be sober-minded i want you to understand this how many of you know that it's very possible for you to be live in excess and to be intoxicated with social media oh am i gonna go there there's a lot of you you look down on people that struggle with addiction of substance but you can't you can't help but i mean your your thumb our thumbs ought to be able to lift 500 pounds the amount of practicing we get with that scrolling when social media went down a few weeks ago y'all were losing it this is how you know we're addicted in your camera roll looking at the same picture 20 20 times like oh this was cool scrolling scrolling in your y'all don't want to be real with me scrolling in your camera roll come on somebody because it's facts the thing is that sobriety when it comes to having a sober mind it's not just related to substances but it's very possible for you to operate in excess oh are y'all gonna have church with me on today excess in every area of our life and so it's important i want you to understand this when it comes to us god's desire is not to take the fun out of stuff but his desire is for us to be to a place where we stay on our game. Why? So it's not that he don't want you to party. It's not that he doesn't want you to have a good time. But he understands that the devil is waiting. Come on. The devil is waiting for you to be in a time where you are so intoxicated, where you can't control yourself. I'm not talking just about alcohol. Remember, when you're so intense, intoxicated with other people's Facebook accounts and their pictures and their marriages... Come on, somebody, that you end up instead of working on your marriage, you step out to greener pastures, what you think are greener <sighs> And then you end up in a worse condition because you were distracted. This is why he says, be sober-minded. Are you here with me? See where I'm going with this? Uh, you peep the game. So he says, he says, your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Right now, I'm telling you, it is YouTube preacher, uh, you know, hunting season. Because I want to tell you that this, even as it pertains to religion. Right now, you heard us say, we're celebrating uh, Advent and we're in the beginning of Advent. And people are like, oh, Christmas is of the devil. Christ mass is of the devil. Let me, let me, let me just slow it down again for you. Christ's mass is of the devil. There are so many things that we think are of Satan in and of themselves when it's not the thing in and of itself that is of the devil. It's the thing that we do in excess that makes it demonic. Tell me how the church gathering to commemorate one of the greatest events in history, the first advent 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to save us from our sins is demonic. How is it? How is it? demonic in that regard in and of itself most definitely it is not and i'm telling you there are all sorts of speculations around christ mass and things that have been done that are uh, that have been infused into christmas that have uh, that have that people practice that are pagan but how many of you know you have the choice whether or not you're going to make it pagan or whether you are going to keep it to be the focus on christ and what it's supposed to be on if you make it where your family just get together and everybody gets turned and drunk and lost and you don't remember what happened the day before, that's on you, baby. If you make it where it's about communi- uh, uh, consumerism and it's about your baby kids uh, being bratish and saying, I want this, I want this, I want that, you go out of your way and go in debt to buy stuff. Y'all don't want to be real with me today. You make it that. So this is the design. You have to understand. I'm telling you, stop. Listen, there are people that call and argue with us on all of this sorts of stuff. No, 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 no. We understand Christmas is about for centuries for and even for thousands of years now. Christians in a liturgical year, the liturgy is us gathering together around very important things and points of history to be able to perpetuate these narratives when everybody's trying to say false stuff about Jesus. The reason why you see us repeating stuff and reading prayers and celebrating communion and all of this in an ancient way with, uh, with all the way. Because that's the way they've done it for thousands of years. And w- this is how we go about preserving things that are important to Christianity. So yes, Jesus was not born on December 25th. But that's not the, pre- the point. The point of it is not to say Jesus was born on December 25th. The point is that every year we remember and we commemorate the advent or the first, the coming of Christ when he was born of the blessed Virgin Mary miraculously to come and live perfectly and die for our sins. So no, we don't, we know it wasn't December. And people think they're so deep when they know that. You know Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. We know that. But that's not the reason why. Don't go to the excess. Don't go to the extreme. Are you with me? It's important perspective-wise. This is, you know, that Jesus coming in flesh, being born of a virgin, that's one of the central doctrines to the Christian faith. This is why we recite the Nicene Creed as we do weekly when we do, and all of this stuff, because Jesus being fully God and fully man. There are people, and there are people right now that teach false things about jesus can i tell you a fact this is this is dope this is good this is gonna bless you so you know santa claus santa claus is a dude (laughs) he was actually a guy named saint nicholas he was a bishop uh he was actually uh the bishop of myra and bishop bishop uh nicholas this is the thing uh in 325 a.d can i just teach for a second in 325 a.d they were having this council, the same council uh, where the first, uh, the first part of the Nicene Creed that we recite every week uh, generally was, was ratified before uh, the 381 edition. And not only that, even the doctrine of the Trinity and all of these things that were established. Th- this guy named Arius, everybody say Arius. Arius, this is just a pit stop, but I want you to get this. Uh, Arius was a false teacher that was teaching that Jesus was a created being. That in other words, he came into existence when he was born of Mary. Where we believe, no, Jesus was in existence before he came into the earth. 
It was God coming into flesh, God the Son coming into flesh to die for our sins and pay the penalty on our behalf. He was not created by the Father. He was always in existence with the Father and the Spirit. Come on, somebody. So look, in this council, they're going off. They're having this experience, whatever. And this guy, Arius, is teaching all this false doctrine and all this. You know what Santa Claus did? He was known for being generous and all that wonderful stuff and all that. Bishop Nicholas is where, why they associate him with the giving of gifts. He gets up and he goes across the room and he slaps Arius in the face. This Santa Claus, go look it up. St. Nicholas, Bishop Nicholas, he actually got uh, in some trouble for that, but he slapped him. He was so passionate about making sure uh, that, the, that the true doctrine about Jesus and who he was was preserved. Are you hearing me? That he went and he slapped him in the face. Because he's like, you're not going to define. So that's why people look at me and say, oh, y'all are this, y'all are... I don't care what, like I told you, I don't care what people say we are. As long as I can remain anchored to the faith that was once delivered. Do you know what's happening now in this world with all this false foolishness? Come on, I would rather celebrate Christmas than some of this nonsense. So anyway, it unifies us with the church body around the world. This is why we connect. The color purple, it's a penitential color during this season of Advent for the next four weeks. We're emptying ourselves and focusing and refocusing our mind on the coming of Jesus to save us from mankind. The greatest gift, the greatest love. Oh, can we just celebrate Jesus and God's greatest gift to us? So yes, there are pagan things that were infused, but you don't have to celebrate those things. And it's very, oh man, I have so much more to say, but I don't have the time. I'm going to have to do a Bible study on this stuff. Anybody would come if I did something like that? Okay. But the importance is not to go to the extreme. You got people out here, don't, aren't even Christians telling you that you shouldn't celebrate Christmas. Or Advent, and you're like, you're out here like, oh yeah, I'm wrong. And you just go, it's like, did you even study? Or did you just study stuff about what people said is a negative thing? Come on, somebody. And so, look, I want you to understand this is important because we have to be sober-minded. We've got to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. His desire is that. When you're off, when you're intoxicated by extremism, when you're intoxicated by the foolishness of this world, when you're intoxicated, here it is, even as I've been talking about, by suffering. What I was experiencing, the reason I lost it is because I lost it. I got drunk on the suffering. I didn't have the appropriate perspective of the suffering in my life. If I had the appropriate perspective of the suffering I was experiencing at the time, instead of getting intoxicated, I would have in that moment stayed level-headed and realized that God could have done something greater than what I could have imagined out of that situation. I should have stayed still and waited to see the salvation of the Lord. Here it is. Let me tell you, this, these are some scriptures you need to write down and you need to understand this. Look, 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 look. Uh, this is why James, James chapter 1 verses 2 through 8. Why he says this is the perspective you ha should have when suffering comes up against you. Don't get so engulfed and so scared of the situation and focusing on what's going on that you lose your mind. Watch this. He says, count it all joy. That's text. When you enter or meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
if you respond to suffering in a godly way, come on somebody, if you remind, remain sober-minded when you are facing this, it can produce steadfastness in your life. Are you with me? And let steadfastness or patience have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How about 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12? Write that down. Check it out. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. So, yes, I'm like, God, you sent me to California to experience that stuff. He's like, yeah, remember, uh, remember the Jesus was led by the by the spirit of God in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Matthew chapter four, Luke chapter four, those both of those chapters are parallel. Jesus was led of the spirit to be tempted. In that moment, God doesn't tempt, but he can allow the suffering and the challenges of a situation to cause some things to come out of you. Instead of being intoxicated by suffering, have a balanced perspective, a sober-minded perspective of what it is that you're facing. And when it is that you do so, it can cause steadfastness, patience. It can cause greatness out of you. Come on, are you with me? And so, this is why the text says, I'm closing. He says in verse 9, resist him. So this is, this is how we're supposed to respond. He says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So your response when it is that you are faced and I am faced with suffering as we all are in various forms, it's imperative that we don't get intoxicated by the suffering where it causes us to be knocked off balance and we lose our focus on God. We are to be sober-minded and a sober-minded response is one that resists the devil firm in your faith so when satan comes and says x y and z you say devil as long as i'm alive there's hope god says in romans 8 18 here it is for the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us and in us the suffering of this present time when you have a sober-minded perspective you resist satan come here james chapter 4 verse 7 but he gives more grace and therefore it says god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble submit yourself therefore unto god watch resist the devil and he will flee some of y'all been intoxicated by suffering instead of resisting the enemy in the middle of it and this is why it is not producing in you what it is that God desires to cause and to happen in your life. It's important for us to be in this place. As verse 6 says of 1 Peter chapter 5 where we've been reading. As he says, he says in the text, he says, and he, uh, but he, uh, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So a proper way to deal with suffering is not to be intoxicated by it, not to allow it to cause you to go to the left or to the right or to act the strip in the fool, but instead you lean into God. Come on, somebody. You humble yourself under his mighty hand. You say, God, your hand is mighty. This is the context. Your hand is mighty enough and sovereign enough to allow these things to happen in my life oh can i teach 
but your hand your strong hand is mighty enough to at the proper time lift me up out of my suffering if I stay trusting and steadfast in you resisting the devil knowing that as long as I am alive until it's my time to get out of here I must see that devil continue to flee as I stand, stand steadfast in trusting the Lord are you with me I know this ain't some shouting stuff but it ought to be if we grab this and so then look this is the beauty part full part I'm done and Dean you hook me up so look verse 10 after you have suffered a little while whew, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you this is what I love about Advent because it's about God not sending an angel. God saying, I'm coming down there myself. I love it. Don't you love how God is so personal? He's so vast and he's so great and he can't be confined in our understanding. And even where our understanding is exhausted, his has not even yet begun. But yet he's so personal that he's willing to put on the flesh of mankind. And come down to earth and die for our sins. I think it's so powerful. But here in the text, he even makes it clear. He will himself restore and strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And so it's imperative for us today to be sober-minded. Somebody say sober-minded. Online, type in the chat, sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Don't be intoxicated by suffering Use it in its, the sense that God has caused it or allowed it. Because even suffering can work together for your good. It don't have to destroy you because it's, if it was meant to kill you, you'd been out of here by now. But as long as there's life, oh, can I just testify? There is hope for God to do the miraculous in your life. And so, if there's anybody in here that says, I'm going to be sober-minded. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to be scared. But I'm going to live in a way that trusts God, even in the middle of what I'm facing. Go ahead, put those hands together and give the Lord the praise. And as I said, I piggyback on the thought that we serve a God who didn't leave us stranded, but who most definitely died for our sins. And not only this, but that he rose from death with all power. Someone saying, why did he do all that? Why did God come to earth and put on flesh and all that stuff? Why? Because the Bible makes it clear that thousands of years ago, that you and I, we're sinners. And the wages of sin is death. Everybody say death. We're born separated from God. This is why we don't teach our, have to teach our kids to disobey or to be sinful because it's inherited. And not only this, the wage of sin is death, but death in hell. Somebody say, in hell. So we believe in hell. Hell is a real place and all of that. The good news is that you don't have to go. That today, the good news is that, just, that Jesus came and he died in your place, in my place. And he rose from death with all power. And today he extends to you and to all of us, those who are watching, those who are in the house. He extends to us. The opportunity to put our trust and our faith in him. To repent of our sins and to take his righteousness on our behalf. Come on somebody. And today you and I 
can be justified before him, made right with, with him, begin a relationship with him if you don't have one. And the rest of your life can be one where you live with him as your Lord. And not only this, on into eternity where he can be your Lord and you can have his leadership for the rest of your life where your purpose and your pain or your pain rather can have a purpose when Jesus is the Lord of your life and so in this moment you're like what do I do how do I how do I how do I trust Jesus how do I give my life to him well Peter speaking to literally thousands of people he summarizes and tells them he says some amazing things in Acts chapter 2 in regards to how they should put their trust in Jesus and he says to them in this whole discourse he says tells them they ought to repent somebody say repent to repent means to acknowledge you realize I'm a sinner I'm in need of salvation I'm sorry for my sins oh Jesus and then what you do is you turn it's a change of heart it's a change of mind and you turn in faith somebody say faith and you say God I believe you I believe that you came I believe that you died I believe that you rose from death with all power I want you to be the Lord of my life I want you to be the boss of my life and forgive me of my sins when you turn you just ask him to be the Lord of your life and then he tells them to be baptized somebody say be baptized and this is why you always see us baptizing people because baptism is the, uh, the introductory sacrament or the introduction, the doorway to the Christian body and family. It's something outside of yourself that God does. We don't look to baptism like, I'm going to go and baptize myself. No, God does a work when your faith and your repentance meet up in that water. And he says, welcome to my family. And so today, if you're that person and you have not trusted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior you're not giving your life to him you've never repented of your sins or you might have done those things and you've never been baptized and you're like I want to seal the deal I want to go all the way I'm all in I'm all in I want to finish this year I'm all in if that person is you you have an opportunity today to trust Christ for the first time secondly if you're someone and you're like pastor I made that decision I was baptized and I meant it and all that but I've run away from Christ and the cares of this life have taken me away and I've been intoxicated by my suffering and I want to come back home. Do I need to be rebaptized? No. You return to the grace of your baptism. You repent and you come home and there's room at the table for you. The family of God says welcome home as you repent and you come home today. And so listen, every head bow, every eye closed in this moment, every head bow, every eye closed in this moment. And today, you're like, that's me, Pastor Andrew. I have never made the decision to trust Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And today is the day that I make that decision. Or if you're like, you know what? I want to come home today. I want to repent and I want to come back home. You might have walked away from Jesus, but he has never walked away from you. On the count of three, between me, you and God, every head bow, every eye closed. Online, we invite you in this moment to... On the count of three, if that's you, pop that hand up in the air between me, you, and God. Here we go. One, two, three. Come on, pop that hand up if that person is you in the house today. Praise the Lord. Or online. Come on, pop that hand real high. Today is my day. For the first time or today, I'm coming home. 
Glory to God. All right, we can put those hands down. Come on, open those eyes. And can we celebrate in the house and online those who have made decisions? Come on, can we celebrate those who have made decisions for Christ?